I walked away from my previous episode realizing that I probably offended some people. As I've become more aware of the one-year-old birthday celebrations, I know that it's become quite common to do a big cake smash event. Most people do this, and after listening to my episode again, I realized that I came down pretty hard with some harsh criticism over the whole idea. And although I acknowledge that I have somewhat of a hypocritical reality of my own, because I really like candy and treats, I realize that this is a sensitive topic. That said, it is too important of a topic to not discuss, and I recognize that it hits close to home for a lot of people. After all, one in three people in the United States have an unhealthy relationship with food. Whether we ourselves struggle or somebody close to us struggles, I'm sure that we are all affected by it somehow. As I did all of the research for the previous episode, my conscience was pinged with guilt because I have so much room for improvement here. For a large portion of my childhood and some crucial developmental years, during grade school, I was quite chubby. I was viciously made fun of. Some of the meanest things ever said to me were about my weight and physical appearance. And I can tell you right now that this pushed me hard into a dark place at times. I was deeply dissatisfied with myself and pretty angry at the world. And it was a hard place to pull out of, and I don't even think I ever really shook it completely. And while I admit that I kind of have an unhealthy relationship with sugar, I sometimes swing hard the other way, too. I throw myself into a realm of absolutes. Sugar is 100% bad 100% of the time, and I will abstain 100% from it. And psychologically, this is a terrible way to go, especially for a young developing brain. In fact, my wife is a PA and has actually told me that I meet the criteria sometimes for a condition called orthorexia. And here are the warning signs and symptoms of orthorexia according to nationaleatingdisorders.org. Compulsive checking of ingredient lists and nutrition labels. An increase in concern about the health of ingredients. Cutting out an increasing number of food groups. All sugar, all carbs, all dairy, all meat, all animal products. An inability to eat anything but a narrow group of foods that are deemed healthy or pure. Unusual interest in the health of what others are eating. Spending hours per day thinking about what food might be served at upcoming events. Showing high levels of distress when safe or healthy foods are not available. Obsessive following of food and healthy lifestyle blogs on Twitter and Instagram. Body image concerns may or may not be present. And as I read this list, I realized that I fit these sometimes. Thing is, I don't think any of these things are inherently bad but I think that they can create a perfect storm. I can actually think of a specific time when I've done all of these, and at the same time, I can think of how it negatively affected my life. I can also think of times when I had one or some of these behaviors, and I believe they served me well. The thing is, I cycle in and out of this. I said it before, and it is still very true. I'm scared to fail my daughter because I've been in a place where I was a bit too obsessive over food. And food for me has carried stigma and taboo, which brings shame and guilt. It's been a self-medicating drug I've used to combat stress and anxiety. And on the flip side, it's been the subject of a hyper-focus to regulate. And I wouldn't say that I suffer badly from this. I maintain a healthy, regular weight and I control my sugar for the most part. Doesn't mean I don't think about sugar too much, though. I always want something sweet. In fact, there are times I'm so conditioned to want sugar, I think it's going to ruin an experience. 
Take a movie, for example. I mean, what is a movie without Sour Patch Kids, right? The bottom line is, this isn't about us anymore, the moment we bring a child into the world. And at the end of the previous episode, I indicated that it's my responsibility to teach my daughter how to have a healthy relationship with food, because if I leave that to the world, she won't be taught correctly. And she could probably suffer pretty badly because of that. I'm not sure this idea rings true across the board for a lot of people. Companies list serving sizes. School districts call tomato paste a vegetable. Governments tell you to follow a food pyramid, which was ill-advised. Studies tell you that eating red meat is going to kill you. Food is fortified because it was already stripped of its nutrients to begin with. And fast food is convenient but not necessarily healthy. The list goes on and on. But what list is this? Well, it's the list that we use every day to make decisions. And although we can think through certain messages that we get from food companies or the schools or the government, our decisions can be influenced by them a lot. And I don't want these messages teaching my children how to pick their food. And if that's the case, then I have a whole lot of learning to do. I need to better educate myself so I can build her foundation. This is both scary and motivating, and was the primary reason for the last episode, this episode, and probably many more episodes to come. I found a list from the Nemers Foundation that says we can follow some basic guidelines to encourage our kids to maintain a healthy weight. Some of these rules I like and some I don't, and I wanted to focus on a few of these today. The 10 rules are, parents control the supply lines. From the foods you offer, kids get to choose what they will eat or whether to eat at all. Quit the clean plate club. Start them young. Rewrite the kids' menu. Drink calories count. Put sweets in their place. Food is not love. Kids do as you do and limit TV and computer time. So let's start with rule number one. Parents control the supply lines. The article says, you decide which foods to buy and when to serve them. Though kids will pester their parents for less nutritious food, adults should be in charge of when deciding which foods are regularly stocked in the house. A few years ago, I worked as a personal trainer. I had a lot of parents bring their kids in for personal training, something that I thought was kind of interesting. If it was sports-specific, then it made sense. On one occasion, I had a dad bring his two young boys in. They were probably 11 or 12, and they were both easily pushing 200 pounds. They had a lot of energy and were willing to work, and they loved sports, and they loved competition. They were just big. And one day, after they were dropped off, I gave them each a simple task— Write down everything they eat over the next three days and bring me the list. And they presented me with their lists the next time I saw them. No surprise to me, the most commonly eaten food was chips. Eating a bag of chips showed up on their list at least five or six times a day. There were other types of food like candy and cakes that were on the list and they showed up every day. I knew immediately that this food was available to them in their home and they were allowed to grab this food whenever they wanted. So I realized I needed to have an uncomfortable conversation with their dad. And after their session, I pulled their dad into a room and I showed him the lists. I probably could have and should have been a little more politic in my delivery, but I let him know that his boys weren't obese due to their own will, that they were obese because he'd taught them to eat mostly junk food and gave it to them, and that the first step was to reduce the amount of junk food available in the home and explain why he was doing it. 
that was unfortunately the last time I saw these boys. And the whole situation kind of broke my heart. They weren't being set up for success. This article also says that it's okay to buy the kids' favorite treats every now and then, just not as a regular snacking food in the home. Again, totally agree here. Rule number four, start them young. The article says, food preferences are developed early in life, so offer variety. I haven't really met too many young children that don't love sugar and candy. So it baffled me that we would start them so young on sugar with a one-year-old cake smash celebration. Kids love sugar. I love sugar. If I could eat sugar exclusively and feel good over it and maintain good health, I'd probably do it. This article says that we need to serve a new food multiple times for a child to accept it. Again, how many times does it take for a baby to realize that sugar is really good? The article continues saying, food preferences are developed early in life. So wouldn't it make sense that we would and should try and develop food preferences that are healthy and balanced? It seems to me that as a society, we're looking at this a bit backwards. I don't think we should be in such a hurry to introduce sugar, especially in a gluttonous, celebratory sort of way. The message is essentially, hey, when you eat this stuff, eat as much of it as you can, and we're all going to celebrate while we do it. I mean, the whole experience goes against everything we know that promotes or helps us to stay healthy. Rule 8. Food is not love. The article says, When foods are used to show affection, they may start using food to cope with stress or other emotions. This one is absolutely crucial. Full transparency, I self-medicate sometimes with food. Snacking is comfort for me. Snacking puts me in a very mindless, numb frame of existence that just feels good. It's a way to unwind, cope with the stress of work, and even a way to enjoy an experience more. I may have mentioned before that I have a hard time enjoying a movie theater as much if I don't have my favorite candy. Emotional eating can be such a difficult pitfall. People can inadvertently promote a cycle of unhealthy eating habits out of purely good intentions. So if we venture to use sugar as an expression of love, this can turn ugly pretty quick. If we create a habit of showing love by giving sugar to our child, the opposite of this is that if we don't give our child sugar, he or she won't feel loved. So now we've created a situation where a truly caring parent who is trying to show love by not giving too much sugar and possibly trying to break this habit of giving sugar as an expression of love is now, at least according to this child, not showing love. This seems like a terrible situation. We would essentially be communicating to our child that we don't love them because he or she is not getting candy from us. Or maybe this child now feels like he or she did something wrong because a sugary gift or reward isn't coming, at least as frequently. I can just think of so many ways this could go wrong. Rule number nine. Kids do as you do. This one seems obvious, but it has proven to be quite hard for me. The article says, choose nutritious snacks, eat at the table, and don't skip meals. Inherent in these three things is so much work. Let's focus on the first point. Choose nutritious snacks. This means at least shopping in advance to make the snacks available. It also means making them in advance if you're going to make them. I mean, there aren't many snack foods that are ready to eat that are overly healthy. They certainly exist, but they are fewer than the alternative. The second point, eat at the table. 
Eating at the table requires planning, setting up, dirtying dishes, etc. Life is so much on the go, and it's so much more convenient to grab food while on the go. Now, when I get home from work, I go straight for an after-work snack. And I'm often holding my baby, too. This one hit me hard. I was 100% guilty of this. And my baby is essentially learning from me that it's okay to go stand at the cupboard and eat something. No plan, no portion control, no cooking or working for the food, no organization, no nothing. I have a lot of change here. Primarily, I can certainly plan better. At the very least, if having an after-work snack before dinner is something we decide to do in the first place, I can decide on a snack ahead of time and sit down to eat it. Snacking easily turns into grazing, which makes it super easy to overeat. Having a set mealtime is important. Kids respond best to a schedule, especially with eating. The third point is, don't skip meals, which mostly explains this last part of regularly planned mealtimes. If I'm going to teach my baby to have a healthy relationship with food, teaching her that we eat on a schedule and prepare our food together seems to be a much better approach than randomly grazing and grabbing food. Also, how often do we just graze and snack out of boredom and not actual hunger? I'd say it's easily half the time for me. The last thing I want to do is create a snacking habit in my daughter that would set her up for a battle with overeating and mindless eating. The last rule from this article that I want to address is rule number six. Drink calories count. In my opinion, this article goes too far on this. The article says, Soda and other sweetened drinks add extra calories and get in the way of good nutrition. Water and milk are the best drinks for kids. Juice is fine when it's 100%, but kids don't need much of it. Four to six ounces a day is good enough for preschoolers. So I actually disagree with this, and I've held strong on this one. We gave my daughter apple juice and prune juice a couple of times to battle constipation, and it worked. Poor girl had a rough 24 hours, but the juice fixed her up. That said, fruit juice provides almost no nutritional value. The reason we drink it is that it tastes good. And I can see the argument here. Oh, well, you still get the vitamins from it. Yep, sure do. And your babies get vitamins from eating fruit, too. So if we're going to give apple juice to our kids specifically because of the vitamins in the juice, then the much better option is just to give them apples at their next meal. Also, the article says 4 to 6 ounces a day is good for a preschooler. 4 to 6 ounces a day is already about 75% of their daily intake of sugar. I just really don't see the argument here. Not even for 100% juice. I'd rather just stay away from it. Water is boring to me, but only because I have had so many sweet options to choose from. As long as my baby doesn't grow a preference for sweet drinks, then water is just fine to her. Again, I bet 4-6 to six ounces a day probably wouldn't be overly detrimental to a child's health. That said, it would develop a preference for juice. The child would want juice over water every single time. First of all, this isn't really a battle I want to fight, especially for something that doesn't provide much value to my child. Learning about good nutrition for my child has opened my eyes quite a bit to my own health and my own nutrition. I have a lot of bad habits that could be quite destructive for my baby. I have a lot of bad habits that could be quite destructive for my child. Time for me to start working on them. I don't believe in the hard, fast rule that whatever is good for me is good for my baby and whatever is bad for me is bad for my baby. That wouldn't make sense because we're at different developmental stages in our lives. 
but I also don't think that it's that far off. As a general rule, healthy foods are good for both of us and should be the majority of our food intake. Along the same line, any healthy habits that I should be teaching my baby I should be implementing first and foremost in my life so that I can lead by example. Again, the ultimate goal here is to develop a healthy relationship with food. And this is difficult because food is so ingrained into so many aspects of our life. It's terrifying how many people have an unhealthy relationship with food and what it's doing to them. These people are suffering, and it can be life-threatening. I think that the absolute best way for us to teach our children how to have a healthy relationship with food is to join them in the journey and lead them in the journey. <laughs>